for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 121, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, I'm going to continue my interview with Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden from the Unique Foundation. This foundation inspires and gives hope to women who are sexually abused as children or adolescents by providing healing services through educational retreats, support groups, and online services. Shalane Maxfield is the founder and president of the Unique Foundation, which she established in 2014. After she and her husband, Derek, became painfully aware of the long-term impact child sexual abuse has on survivors, they envisioned creating an organization that could offer resources and services to provide healing, education, and hope free of charge. As president of the Unique Foundation, Shalane guides the overall vision of their work and focuses on the individual experience of those who are directly served by the foundation. Shalane actively presents on both national and international stages with a focus on the hope and healing that are possible for survivors of sexual abuse and a call to prevent abuse. The Maxfields were recognized by Utah Valley Magazine in 2016 and were awarded Philanthropist of the Year. Two years later, Shalane was featured as one of the 30 women to watch in Utah. She's a devoted wife and mother to five beautiful children. Chris Yaden is the executive director of the Unique Foundation. He has previously held leadership positions in the startup tech and nonprofit industries. He brings a valuable skill set to the organization and is deeply committed to addressing the epidemic of child sexual abuse. Chris considered his family as his greatest accomplishment. He's the grateful father of six children, three boys and three girls. He and his wife, Christy, have been married for 22 years. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to let you know that this is adult-centered conversation. So if you have little ones around, you might want to preoccupy them somewhere else. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. Parents, please remember, don't just download the episodes, click subscribe, because when you do that, you will get every new episode automatically in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And remember, I'd love for you to write a review on iTunes and let me know what you think of the podcast. Also, not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today. Parents, I know that for many of you, a big struggle you have with your kids is when to buy them a cell phone. All kids want cell phones, and unfortunately, they want them much younger than we want them to have. Parents continually ask me, how old should my child be before I give them a cell phone? Personally, I prefer kids not to have access to the internet until they're at least 16. But I know that most parents are going to give their kids a cell phone long before that. So here's the great news. Now, 
there's something called the GAB, G-A-B-B, phone. It's amazing. It was created by a father a year ago who didn't want his kids to have access to the internet. So he created a smartphone that has apps and kids can text, they can take pictures, they can do all sorts of things, but they cannot connect to the internet. Friends, this phone is a game changer, the Gab phone. If you go and get a phone, go to gabwireless.org. When you go to the website, put in my name, M-E-G, and Gab has agreed to give you a 10% discount on your phone. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 121. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on the second part of a conversation I had with Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Let's talk about another topic that's extremely uncomfortable for parents, but we need to talk about, and that's sex trafficking. Yeah, uh, I say sex trafficking is horrific. In fact, there's been a recent surge in awareness around sex trafficking. It does happen. Um, but there's a concern right now as parents focus on sex trafficking that we're taking our focus away from the most significant risk that their child faces. And, and it's okay that a parent wants to help a child out of trafficking. That's a good thing. But sometimes we as parents use things like that to check the box to say, oh, we're doing something about this issue. The reality is the chance that a child will be sex trafficked is extremely low. Uh, what makes a child at risk of being trafficked is if they're at risk of being a runaway, mm. they're a refugee, or they're in the foster system. Or they just have terrible parents. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. Right? So if those types of things are happening with your child, then yes, worry a lot about it. But if those things aren't happening, the reality is your child faces much different risks than trafficking. And they're at much greater risk of being abused or raped by a friend in high school or assaulted by a friend in high school or by a family member or by a coach or uh, someone in their church than they are of being trafficked. So while you're working hard, parents, to, to address trafficking, which you should, just understand that that's not going to really solve the risk that your child faces. I think it's easier to talk about because it's less frequent. It's not personal. You know, we know it's out there and we know it's a social, um, you know, issue. So it's easy to talk about, but sexual abuse is harder because it might involve somebody that we know and respect, but we're going to have to confront Mm -hmm. who abused our child. And I think I've seen that. I, I've seen, you know, where an adult man who's a friend of the parents assaults the girl, but they don't want to bring it to him because he's a very good friend. So it gets very complicated, very, very complicated. Um, I know that sexual abuse is extremely harmful to girls physically, uh, mentally, psychologically. Can you talk a bit about what the girls or young women that you're dealing with who come into Haven, the retreats, what are the biggest issues they're dealing with that are directly related to their sexual abuse? The women who come to the Haven retreat actually have a variety of different stories and backgrounds that they come from. Um, 
it's been my observation that some of the things that they are dealing with is a sense of hopelessness, mm. uh, a feeling of brokenness. They feel alone. A lot of them self-medicate because they don't want to feel what they feel. And in their defense, people don't want to feel broken. They don't want to feel um, harmed and negative all the time, in fear all the time. So although there are a variety of things that they deal with, I love that we can do something to help them. We can give them hope. We can educate them. We can help them understand that their brains are wired in a specific way to get a specific response out of them. If they sense fear, their brain is going to tell them you're in a dangerous situation and they're going to have physical reactions. Maybe their heart's going to start beating faster. They're going to breathe quicker. They might sweat. But if we're helping them understand that that's a normal response, your brain is telling you to do that, and then give them the education and the tools they need to work through that natural response, it's going to help a lot of them. I'll share a few interesting statistics to reinforce what Shalane uh, shared. So um, sexual abuse survivors are uh, three times more likely to attempt a suicide. So that would be in effect, right? Uh, 30% of them have attempted uh, suicide. 30% of them have also engaged in some sort of eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20% have uh, been subject to a, a substance abuse addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that's interesting is 85% of them have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. So when you hear these types of things, right, these societal ills that we are fighting against every day, uh, when, you, when you're fighting against suicide, what you're really fighting against is early childhood trauma in almost every case. Mm-hmm. And that's the root of the issue with sexual abuse being one of them. And so uh, the most common diagnosis is PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so they're dealing with these PTSD symptoms and use all these other behaviors like an eating disorder or drug addiction to, to self-medicate or cope with those PTSD symptoms that Shalane described. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And from my experience, girls who've been sexually abused are in a little bit of a different category from you know others who just have general anxiety and depression. Because one of the issues, I think it's hard for adults who have not been sexually abused or the parents to, to wrap their minds around, is the fact that girls feel responsible. And the reason they feel responsible is because kids, when they're young, believe they have control over their environment. They're very egocentric. Um, That's why it's hard to convince a 12-year-old that they didn't cause their parents' divorce or they couldn't do anything about it. And so when you have that sense that you are responsible for such a horrific thing happening to you, you, the self hates the self. And I think you're smart because if you don't get to the root of that, you really can't help that healing um, in a child. If a parent finds out that their child has been abused, what should they do next and what shouldn't they do? Yeah. I, I would say the first thing when you find out is to respond gently mm-hmm. and with love. You should not freak out. You should not blame the child. You should believe the child, even if you struggle to believe what they are telling you, wondering how it could possibly be true. The chances of a child lying about being sexually abused 
are tiny. Tiny. Mm-hmm. And the the possibility that they are telling the truth is huge. So you've got to respond with love and kindness, with gentleness. You have to take a moment to collect your own thoughts because that's going to be a very oh, difficult conversation. it's very traumatic for a parent. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, and the parent has all this um, guilt and, oh my gosh, I... I didn't protect my child. How could this have happened to my child? Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these things right, and how could it still have happened? So it's a, it's a very difficult situation to be in. I have a lot of people reach out to me about this exact thing, actually, and I always direct them to their local authorities authorities and to their pediatrician because the the resources in different communities are going to be different and we want them to have access to all of them those are both great places to get those resources but um i personally would pray you know i would i would go right to the lord and 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 seek guidance yes what Mm -hmm. what what can i do how am i going to fix this mess and um i i just think that just handling it as best you can, just putting yourself back first and doing everything that you can to help the child is going to be so important. And that first response can be instrumental or detrimental in the healing process for that child. Chris might have some thoughts. Uh, I think Shalane nailed it. Just, you know, the way I'd summarize it is respond, don't react, involve professionals pediatrician, a mental health professional to help you navigate those waters. Mm-hmm. Lots of love, lots of acceptance, lots of I believe you. Lots of uh, patience yeah. Yeah. because they're struggling with it too. They have this confusion, this shame, this yeah. guilt, this fear that can all be new to them or it can be all at the surface for them. Mm-hmm. So just responding with love and compassion is going to be so important. And boy, is that hard. I mean, I... Just for me personally, you know, if somebody, if one of our girls came and told me that, I would think of my shotgun in the closet first. Mm-hmm. That's terrible to admit, but it's probably a normal response. But this though. response is, "Where is he? Where is he?" But if you communicate that, you know, communicating kindness and softness and warmth when you're having those very intense feelings is against your intuition. It's hard. So you really almost have to think about it first or when anything like that happens to a child. Yeah, and let me, let me offer a ray of hope here. Research continues to show us that if a parent will respond and get the child help, mm-hmm. the chances that that child will suffer long-term consequences like PTSD go down dramatically. Mm-hmm. What causes the long-term consequences that we talked about, the suicidal ideation, the drug addiction, is when parents sweep it under the rug and hide it. And then the child's left to deal with, with the resulting trauma. Mm-hmm. It's that resulting trauma, and it's intensifying over the years mm-hmm. for something that never got dealt with and never got resolved that produces such devastating results for their life. So, you know, in terms of the do not do's, probably the biggest do not do as a parent is don't sweep it under the rug. It doesn't matter who did it. It doesn't matter if it's someone you love just as much as you love that child. Do not, do not, do not under any circumstances sweep it under the rug. You're giving that child a life sentence if you do. And don't take the side of the perpetrator, even if you love the perpetrator too. You've got to be all about the victim, the survivor, and focus on them first. You can deal with the other things later. 
but help your child understand you are on their side and you are going to do everything to help them. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. In my mind, in my experience, there's a little bit of a difference between girls who are assaulted by an outside family member than by a father, say. And I think it's difficult for mothers who are married to um, believe the girl rather than the husband, and they're in this deep, deep conflict. If you are a parent and you perceive there's ongoing abuse, and it is probably from somebody very close to you, that may, and that, that parent may not want to talk about it, what would you say to that parent? Maybe we've got somebody listening right now, a mother who goes, you know, I think there's something weird going on. I think it's even my husband, my dad, my brother, whatever. What would you tell her? Trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to listen to that. We're given those feelings for a reason. They help, they help us be safe. And it was like you were saying, you know, if you're with your kid within 10 seconds, you know if they're in a bad mood. And if something's going wrong with your child, you can feel that. You have to honor that feeling as difficult as the next moments or months might be. You've got to choose wisely. If there's any doubt in your mind you need about what they're saying, you have to really pay attention. Like, maybe they're right. You have to just think of it. If, what if they're right? Mm-hmm. What is my responsibility as a parent? if and since they're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And it might be some very uncomfortable conversations. That's one of the other things that we offer on Defend Innocence is um, embracing the awkward, confronting with kindness. We give pointers and tips for parents to be able to navigate these conversations because we know that they're going to be difficult, but they need to be had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, you know, let me just paint a scenario, Meg, that describes what you're saying. So uh, there's a mom and a dad, and the dad is the one that's perpetrating against the child, chances are that mom is also being victimized in some way, whether that's emotionally, sexually, whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so is it realistic for, for us to expect her to respond well? And, and the reality is if she's a victim as well, the chances of her responding well are not, not really, really good, but there's something she can do and that is when she can't protect her child, she can call on somebody to do it, a sister, a neighbor. Sometimes when we aren't in a place to help our child, we, we, can, we can build up enough strength, enough gumption, enough whatever to get someone else to protect our child for us because we're in such a mess ourselves. So if that's all you can do, you know, you can't do the checklist of all the things to protect your child. If all you can do is engage another trusted adult to protect your child, uh, you're a hero in my eyes. Because if you don't address it, you're really setting that child up for years and years and years of misery. But if you do have the gumption to address it, you could be really starting healing at that time. And I just want to encourage parents, you know, they can do so much more than they think they can. You know, they can have hard conversations. They can, I think we're afraid of our kids sometimes, you know, well, what if they respond this way to me or what if they respond that way to me? If you are a friend and you suspect 
child abuse of another friend's daughter, what would you do? It depends on what you mean by suspect. So uh, first of all, acknowledge that there are a lot of state laws across the country and even international in, 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 in our international countries that dictate what you should do. For example, in our state where we're at, if an adult suspects abuse of another child, you have a responsibility to report to authorities. And so that may be true in other states as well. So learn your, law, learn your state laws. Uh, and in fact, we even provide on Defend Innocence some resources that uh, direct you to all the different states uh, to know what state laws are. Uh, the second thing is, uh, Shalane mentioned the term earlier, confront with kindness. Uh, you need to have the gumption to go in and ask the questions and have the conversation. One thing we do not recommend, though, with confront with kindness is if you're pretty sure that someone's perpetrating, don't confront the perpetrator. Uh, that's, that's a high-risk situation, and it's best if you let the authorities, whether that's law enforcement, child protective services, uh, or some other uh, authority, address the perpetrator around the issue. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. You know, we need to wrap up here. I really appreciate your time. As I said, you do such noble work, and this is some place, this is an issue that's very, very, very close to my heart. Um, there may be some parents listening, uh, mothers or fathers out there listening, going, gee whiz, you know, I'm worried about this. I appreciate what you've talked about. Um, but how can I recognize if my child might have been abused if they hide it so much? So what are some of the signs that parents should look for? I would say you're going to notice a change in behavior. Um, maybe they're more irritable. Um, maybe they're avoiding you, spending more time in their room. Um, there can be a shift in their grades. You know, A students are now getting Ds. Like, you've got to trust that intuition and... And when you're having those feelings of like, I wonder, find a way to bring it up. Mm-hmm. It, whether it's um, going on our, our website and looking for resources or some of those little videos to watch with them. But don't be afraid of your kids. You, you can avoid a lifetime of pain for them and for yourself mm-hmm. by having these conversations. And it get, again, it goes so much back to those open conversations that we have, that open dialogue that we're constantly talking with our kids, that we're becoming that safe place that they know that they can always talk to us. It's really difficult for a child who wants to protect somebody they love Mm -hmm. to speak about something bad that that person did to them. Mm -hmm. But the more educated we are, the better we can empower our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on the physical side, so Shalane addressed a lot of the emotional signs. On the physical side, some things to watch for is if your child's engaging in a sexual activity that is very abnormal for their age. For example, a young child that's five or six uh, performing oral sex. That would not be... That's not normal. It's not normal, right? That should be a huge red flag Mm -hmm. that says, they've learned that somewhere. I need to find out where. Uh, Other physical signs would be things like tattered or torn clothing. If those are signs of a struggle, which can often occur in an abuse situation. Also, uh, if you notice anything, especially around your young children, that are odd around their genitalia, so any type of discharge or bleeding, uh, things like that, you would you would want to get checked out by a pediatrician immediately and get them proper care because those things are 
are clear physical signs that something may have occurred. So you need to be looking. It, it, it isn't something that you just go, it screams at you, you have to really be looking and it's okay to look. Because I know too, physically it's hard to prove sexual abuse because often the perpetrators know how to do it without the child showing any kind of physical signs. I just said we have to wrap up, but I have one more question. Um, what role do you think that the media plays and pornography plays on grooming or um, what am I? What am I looking for? Impacting men who are going to be abusers. Yeah, I would describe it as an accelerant. Okay. Most individuals that perpetrate against someone else actually experience their own early childhood trauma, and it didn't get resolved. And so, what happens is the pornography or uh, the hypersexualized material that is produced and delivered through the media becomes their coping mechanism uh, for their own trauma mm -hmm. and uh, takes them down paths that lead them to maladaptive behaviors and maladaptive interactions uh, as, as such as sexual abuse. So it's an accelerant. Uh, it's, it's like throwing gas on a fire mm -hmm. and turning it into a bonfire. So mm -hmm. we absolutely um, believe that things like pornography play a devastating role in child sexual abuse. It may not be the cause of it, but it's certainly an accelerant. Uh, now, uh, where where that's a little different are things like child pornography. Child pornography itself is sexual abuse right. um, in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, But other types of pornography that it's not child pornography are certainly an accelerant mm -hmm. uh, and, and is throwing the gas on the fire, if you will. And that is growing and growing in popularity. Um, what about girls? What about the effect of media on girls? Because we're really hypersexualizing both boys and girls. Uh, what effect do you think that that has on the sexualization of girls? What effect does that have on their um, vulnerability in being abused, or does it not have any? Uh, I think it does absolutely have an effect on our, our youth. Um, we do live in a very over-sexualized time, and we can find all kinds of things everywhere we go, whether it's ads on TV or at the checkout stand of a grocery store, it's everywhere. And I think that adds a lot of pressure to the youth, girls and boys, to think that they have to be a certain way to get attention. Mm -hmm. And this may not apply to everybody, but as a, a young woman, I wanted attention. You know, I, I, I wanted attention from older guys or somebody I thought was cute or, mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And there was a sense of pressure, and I can't even imagine how, how hard it is for, for kids now. It's so much harder now. But you, you're conditioned to think a certain way that you have to behave or, or dress a certain way to get the kind of attention that you're seeking. And that it just isn't the case. Um, you're, you will get attention in some of those situations, but you might find it's not the, really the attention that you really want. Mm -hmm. If you're um, seeking for valuable relationships that are centered in, in love and um, commitment, you don't have to dress a certain way to get that. You just really don't. And we have such a high standard of what we're supposed to look like, and it's not even real. Mm 
Right. The, so many things are yeah. photoshopped. They're mm-hmm. they're touched up. They're tweaked, and um, it's just an impossible standard. Mm-hmm. And people don't really really understand that. And yet, we're all using these filters to make ourselves look more appealing to yeah. other people. And that's that whole dynamic is far more effective on younger girls than older girls, because they're their identity is forming. And who am I? What should I look like? Uh, Whenever I ask teenagers, girls, what are the two most, um, what are the two biggest pressures or three biggest pressures you have? They always say being thin enough and sex. I need to be sexy. I need to be thin. And that's, I mean, across the board, girls who are getting straight A's and are going to go to University of Michigan versus girls that dropped out of high school, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so. there's an important message with this, Meg, and we have to balance these messages that um, this hypersexualization of girls and boys, but girls uh, definitely is it's in their face every day. Um, we, we never want a young woman, if she is abused, to think that she brought it on. Um, and uh, there's, there's no room for that type of shaming of girls. It's not her fault. It doesn't matter what she was wearing. It doesn't matter uh, how she was presenting herself. Mm-hmm. Now, those things can put a girl at higher risk, but it doesn't mean it's her fault mm-hmm. that she was abused. So we have to balance those, uh, those conversations when we're talking with our our girls, uh, well, our boys and girls, but girls specifically, you know, I have three daughters and, and I get to have those conversations with them. And um, it's a difficult balance as a parent, but we've got to do our best. And there, again, is a bright spot here that if I as a parent will engage in conversations about sexual health with my child early and often and ongoing it really is the anecdote to the hypersexualization that they're being bombarded with in the media. They can, it gives them a place to look at what they're being bombarded with and say, that's different than what dad taught me or that, than what mom taught me. I see the difference and I'm going to let that go because I believe what mom and dad taught me. So uh, even though the media feels overwhelming, it feels so big, it feels so, it feels like this unmanageable monster. The reality is you can make a difference as a parent. And if you're willing to have those conversations, your children can put the media in its appropriate spot and say, that's not real, that's not what it's expected, and that's not what I'm going to choose. Amen. (laughs) You know, you're absolutely right, because parents have the power. And I really do want to leave it on a positive note, because a parent really can be a big factor in preventing sexual abuse of their kids. And because it, once they realize that, you know, Madonna or Beyonce, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say it, but but artists, yeah, they do have an influence, but that influence pales in comparison to the influence that a, a mom and a dad says. So I know that you have a great partnership with Gab, and I don't know if you want to tell people how they can get in contact with you, how they can learn about the Gab phone. So um, anybody that wants to get in contact with us can go right to defendinnocence.org, and we are also on Facebook. And we have a a team of people who are probably going to be overwhelmed by the responses, but we've got some really amazing people there answering questions or directing them to the person that can't answer them. And when they go to that website, here's what they're going to find. Proactive parents can raise capable kids. 
and uh, and they're going to find the tools to make that happen. Uh, referring to Gab, GabWireless.com is where you can go. And any phones purchased through the affiliate network through Gab Wireless, that's where they get to donate $10 to, to defend innocence. So you can not only have a great piece of technology, you can do good along the way. Right. And I think the work that both of you are doing, uh, Gab and Defend Innocence, works hand in glove. It's so, so, so important. Shalane Maxfield, thanks so much for joining me. And Chris Yaden, I really appreciate your time. And God bless you in the work that you're doing. It's just really extraordinary. I thank you. As a pediatrician who loves kids, I thank you for the impact that you're having on kids everywhere. Thank, thank you, thank Dr. You. Meeker. It's been an honor to be with you. Thanks. Now, on to my points to ponder. One, give. When you hear of an organization like Defend Innocence working hard to prevent harm to children, or perhaps another organization that's working hard to change something else in society that you agree with, give to them. Give them whatever you can, your time, your money, or just encouragement. Nonprofit organizations like Defend Innocence depend on us so that they can keep going. So look around for a nonprofit that is doing work you believe in and send them money or even a letter of encouragement. And if you can't find one or can support two organizations at once, please consider giving to Defend Innocence as well. They need us to serve. The backbone of any good country is the people who love it and serve it. We are the ones who create social change. We are the ones who care for the less fortunate. We can't wait for others or even the government to step in and help. We must be the ones to do it. There's one more huge benefit to serving. It teaches our kids what really matters. Kids who grow up learning that life isn't all about them develop a solid work ethic and compassion. So find those around you who need help and ask your kids to help you as you meet their needs. Three, pray. The late great apologist Ravi Zacharias said, the biggest changes in life only come about through prayer. We don't dramatically change people by talking, lecturing, or even serving them. We must pray for them. Please pray for Defend Innocence. If we really want to bring about enormous change, we must pray. I challenge each of you who pray to pray more. If you pray regularly, add five minutes to your prayer time. If you've never prayed before and would like to try, simply start talking to God. You will begin to learn about and see things you never believed you could. Parents, I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in to me. I post them in my blogs, and sometimes I send them right back to you. You can always email me any parenting question to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden from the Unique Foundation for joining me on the show today. To find out more about the Unique Foundation, go to uniquefoundation.org. That's uniquefoundation.org. And friends, remember to check out the Gab phone, gabbwireless.com. So let's recap my points to ponder. One, give. Two, serve. Three, 
pray. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.